0: This morning, if you have a copy of God's word, look with us to the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Book of Matthew chapter 6, as we conclude this series of messages we've been in the last couple of months on the names of God. Book of Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin reading with verse 5. And while you're turning there, let me just say the last few months we've been looking at the names of God. There are hundreds of names in the Bible telling us who God is. And every time that you see a name of God, it's to show us his characteristic, it's to show us who he is, it is to show us how we relate to him. And so we've been looking at many names, again, not all of them because there are hundreds of names, but today we're going to be looking at a very special name. Book of Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, Jesus is preaching the most famous sermon of all times, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he starts talking about how to pray. Verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. So that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they will have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Pray with me. Our Father, today as we look at this name, I pray you will help us to understand it. That Father, we may use it in such a powerful way. Understanding, Father, the relationship we have with you. And I pray, Father, that you will remove any barriers from uttering this name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sylvan Carter escaped from prison in 1961 and eluded capture for 28 years. He changed his name. He kept moving around. And then 28 years later, in April 1998, he, 1989, he voluntarily surrendered himself. He gave himself up. And they were surprised. In fact, they even asked him, "Why? Why are you doing this? Because you've been gone for so many years. We didn't know where you were. There's no way we could have found you. Why did you turn yourself in?" And Sylvan Carter responded, "I want to see my own name on my tombstone. There is power in names." There is power in our names. Here's a man who escaped and for 28 years living under assumed names. But he wanted his name back. Names have meaning. In the last couple of months, we've been looking at the names of God. And as I said before, each name represented who he is. Shows us uh, who he is, how he relates to us, how we connect with him. We looked at names, for example, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. We looked at names like Jehovah Shaddai, Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. We looked at Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner, the Lord our warrior. We looked at names like Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. We looked at names like Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God of all power. And today's name... Maybe the most shocking, the most amazing name of all in the Bible. It is a simple name, but it's a powerful name. In fact, it is a name that the Jews would not use to talk to God. In fact, in John chapter 5, Jesus used it, and the people got mad at Jesus. And in John chapter 5, it said they wanted to kill Jesus because he used this name. The name father father jesus is teaching us how to pray he says i want you to pray in this manner our father i am sure when jesus said those words when jesus uttered those words they had to be gasped in the in the audience i mean they were taught you pray to god as if god the god of isaac jacob and abraham They were taught you to pray to God, the awesome God, the holy God. But here's Jesus saying you're to pray to God and simply say, our Father. Now, God is called Father in the Old Testament. Less than 14 times God is called Father. Seven times directly He is called Father. For example, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 63, it says... Yet you are our father, even though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us. You, Yahweh, are our father from ancient times. Your name is our redeemer. In the very next chapter, they prayed again. Yet, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the works in your hands. You you see, every time they used the word father to talk about God in the Old Testament, they were talking about that God is the father of Israel. They did not connect it that he was their father, their personal father. And so for Jesus to say, this is how I want you to pray. Our father was amazing. I mean, Jesus talked about God as father. In fact, over 150 times in the gospels, he said, father. And so he wants us to understand as we connect, as we relate to God, The best way is Father. Now, I have to address something here. It is possible for some of you here, some of you online, this is difficult. Because you don't have a good relationship with your Father. And every time you think of God as Father, you connect it with your Father, and it's very difficult for you. This is not new, by the way. In the 1400s, Martin Luther, the reformer, spent years trying to say our father because he had a bad relationship with his father. His father wanted him to be a lawyer. Martin Luther wanted to be a monk. His father disowned him. And for years, Martin Luther could not say our father. I've talked to missionaries working in the inner cities with street gangs. They said this is a hard concept to teach them to say God is your father because many do not have good relationship with their fathers. Years ago in another church, there was a lady, she struggled saying our father, her father raped her and her sister. And every time she thought of the phrase, our father in heaven, she had a panic attack. It took her a long time to overcome this. I mean, even atheist Sigmund Freud said, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose faith in God when he loses respect for his father. So we have to address that this morning because it's possible some of you have some bad connections with your father and you're putting that bad connection on God. So I want to address it to help us understand. One author says there's four dysfunctional fathers and how they can affect us in our relationship with God. So let me give you these four dysfunctional fathers. The first is the never satisfied dad. The never satisfied dad. This is the dad, no matter what you did, you would never please him. He was never satisfied with you he was always concerned how well you did how you look he was concerned how many points you scored he was concerned if you were playing the solo he was always concerned he compared you to others no matter what you did he was always saying well you could do better you could do better you could do better and the message he was sending to the children is very simple you have to achieve something to be worth something so children start believing that I'm not smart enough, I'm not athletic enough, I'm not pretty enough. And they start thinking, maybe if I was someone else, my dad would love me. And so they grow up and they always trying to prove themselves that they're worth it. And these children apply that to God. That God doesn't approve of them. They have to be more for God to like them. They're constantly comparing themselves to others. Oh, if I was only like so-and-so, God would like me more. Or they're always trying to work harder so that God would love them more. The second type is called the time bomb dad. The time bomb dad. The author said this is the kind of dad you never knew what you were going to expect. If he had a bad day at work, bad day at the golf course, bad day at hunting or fishing, whatever it may be, he may just go off in anger. Or it may be because of alcohol, it may be because of drugs, or it may be just stress, whatever it was. He could not control his temper, and you live in fear because you've been hurt. You've been hurt verbally, emotionally, maybe physically. Your dad kept order in the home by sheer volume, and you lived in fear. And maybe you live in fear today. You're kind of like a control freak because you think if I can control everything in my life, I won't have those feelings anymore. And those people will look at God and they think God is always mad at them. God is angry. They fear God and they want to obey God, but they don't love God, they resent God. How dare you be so angry with me? And so they try to control God. They put God in a box and they do the very minimum they can because they don't want to make him mad third type the author says is the emotionally distant dad the emotionally distant dad i mean this this father is stable consistent and moral i mean he never abandoned you never abused you he just have has never expressed emotions to you now i can tell you most fathers between 1940 and 1980 falls in this category because they didn't know they were supposed to And they didn't know how and they never made their children feel special you see there are three things every child should hear from their father every child should hear the following three things number one i love you number two i'm proud of you number three you're really good at blank if you have an emotionally distant dad you never heard those things doesn't mean he never thought of it he just never expressed it And you went through your life saying, I I wonder if my dad loves me. I wonder if my dad is proud of me. I wonder if I've done anything for my dad. You desire those phrases and you want to hear those phrases from someone. So they apply this to God. And they see God as some distant God, some distant judge. Not as a father who loves them. Oh, they can relate to God intellectually, but they cannot relate to God emotionally. Because they cannot believe the Heavenly Father loves them. The fourth type called the absent dad. This is the kind of dad that is never part of the child's life. Maybe the dad just walked out. By the way, 2021 U.S. Census report. In the United States, uh, 18.4 million children in the U.S. live in a home without a biological step or adoptive father. You can fill New York City twice with those children. But you don't have to walk away being absent father. You can live in the home and be absent. Always working, always with your hobbies. Never been to a ball game, never been to a concert, never been to an event. You can be absent. Do You know what happens? Those children begin to in, in, interpret those absences of their father as a personal rejection. may not be, but that's how they feel. They feel like, well, I'm not good enough for my dad. And they start feeling lonely. They have this problem with the loneliness in life. Psychologist Paul Witts wrote a book on the psychology of atheism. He said, the intense atheist, the intense atheist of history, Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, Bertrand Russell, Nietzsche, Voltaire, Madeline Murray O'Hare, all had absent fathers. The psychiatrist said that because of this, they turn their anger to God. You think God is never there for you. That's what happens. If you have the absent dad, you look at God as the absent God. Do you see the problem here? You see what we're dealing with? If you're not careful, you're going to relate to God as you relate to your, heavenly, uh, your earthly father. And that's not right. I mean, when Jesus told us that God is our father, he is trying to tell us we have the perfect father, the ideal father. You don't take your father and put it on God. God is not the the model. Our fathers are not the model of God. God is the model of the way we should be his fathers. And so Jesus said, when you pray, you're to pray our father. And Jesus uses a very special word here and the Aramaic is Abba. It means daddy. I mean, this is, the most, this is such a dear, endearing term. It's, it's the word you use, a little girl crawling into her father's lap and says, Daddy, I love you. Jesus said, when you connect with God, first two words, our father. Up close, personal father. That is our relationship with God. We have a parent-child relationship with God. And when we come to God, as great and as awesome and as mighty as He is we come to Him as our Father. So what kind of Father is God? Number one, He is a providing Father. He is a providing Father. I mean one of the synonyms of a good Father in our culture is provider. Every day we talk about the idea of providing for your family. Well our God is a good father and he provides for us. We see this all through the Bible, how he provides. Whatever you need, he provides. And based on everything else we said in this series, not only is he able to do this, he is willing to do this because he's our father. So he provides words for tough situations, he provides guidance for tough decisions, he provides comfort. For heartbreak. He provides clothing. Material needs. To meet our, our, our needs. He provides opportunities. For us to make a real difference in life. He answers our prayers. As we pray to him. He opened our minds. To understand spiritual truth. He gives us strength. When we feel like we can't go one more step. He is the providing father that whatever you need, he can meet your need. He's our father. Second, he's a caring father. He's a caring father. By the way, do you know the the secret of a caring person? I want you to think of somebody in your life that you know is a caring person. Here's what I know about that person you just thought of. That caring person knows your needs. That's how they meet the needs. Every caring person I know has a gift for knowing what I need. They have that ability to see our need. And once they see the need, they meet the need. A good father is a caring father. That means he knows our needs because he knows us. We have a God who is our caring father. That means he knows our characteristics. He knows our names. He knows our traits. He knows our personality. He knows everything about us. And because of that, he can meet our needs. One of the saddest things I ever witnessed in my life happened many, many years ago in another state. A teenage girl had run away from home. And I was at the home as they were... Trying to console, I was trying to console the family, and I saw and watched the father call the sheriff to report his daughter missing. They said, can you describe her? How tall is she? And he didn't know. Well, what was she wearing that day? He didn't know. Who are her, her friends? He didn't know. Where does she hang out after school? He didn't know. And he just started crying. And he kept saying over and over, I don't know her. I don't know her. I don't know her. I don't know her. Now, it wasn't because of grief he didn't know her. He'd been too busy in life. God is a father who knows us intimately god is a father who knows our sorrows our aspirations our failures our guilts and our joys and we see this demonstrated in jesus i mean look at the life of jesus and you see that picture of our father jesus demonstrated it when he asked philip that question with they had the five thousand. remember that jesus said how are we gonna get the food for this now why did he ask philip because philip was the logical one he was the detailed one the bible said that he asked him to test him why he knew who he was or Nathaniel, when he said, I saw you under the fig tree, the Israelite in whom there is no guile. Why did he say that? Because he knew Nathaniel. He knew he was under the fig tree. That was a place you studied. That was a place you prayed to God. Or when Jesus asked the rich young ruler, if you want to follow me, sell everything. He didn't say that to Nicodemus. Why did he say it to the rich young ruler? Because the rich young ruler, riches was his God. We're talking to the woman at the well. Jesus knew that she'd been married five times. He knew she was living with a man. He knew her. Jesus demonstrates that God knows us. He's a caring father. Third, he's a close father. He's a close father. The psalmist says in Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him. In the book of Acts chapter 17, verse 27, it says, God did this so men would reach out for him and find him since he is not far from each one of us. Now, we've already talked about this concept. The theological concept is God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Our heavenly father is everywhere. Therefore, he is close. That is why when you pray, you don't have to run to the church to pray. You don't have to run to the temple to pray. You don't have to run to a chapel to pray. You can pray anywhere. Why? Because God is there. God is a close father. And because he's close, he knows all about us. I remember one time our son was young, James was young, and something happened at the playground. And he was really upset. He came up up to me, Daddy, he was trying to explain. I said, James, I saw it. You don't have to explain anything. I saw the whole thing. It's okay. Our God can always do that to us. Hey, I I saw it I know what happened I know what you're thinking you don't have to worry it's okay God is a close father that means you cannot run away from God remember Jonah Jonah ran to the edge of the, the land and God was there and then Jonah ran to the edge of the sea and God was there and then Jonah went to the bottom of the ocean in a fish. <laughs> God was there. God is a close father. That means you cannot hide from God. There's no way any of you can ever hide from God. But it also means you're not hidden from God. Remember Joseph? In the Old Testament, he was at the bottom of a pit. God was there. He was sold into slavery in a foreign land at Potiphar's house, and God was there then he ended up in the bottom of a prison and God was there and then he went to the palace and God was there when you know that God is your heavenly father wherever you are you know God is there he's always close he's also a loving father a loving father the Bible says in 1 Peter, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. The Bible says God is love. Now, the Bible doesn't say God has love. It doesn't say that, you know, that God displays love. No, the Bible says God is love. It doesn't say love is God. No, it says God is love. We've tried to define God by the word love. but well, We should try to define the word love by God. God is love. He's a loving father. You know what that means? I mean, we see it throughout the Bible, but think of John three sixteen. 16. We, we see the love of God is unconditional. John three sixteen says what? For God so loved the world. Now it doesn't say, for God so love all the good people, or God just loved the Jews, or that God just loved the saints. They said, for God so loved the world, all the people in the world, it's everyone. God's love isn't based upon your spiritual condition. His love for you is not based on your moral uh, uh, attitude. It isn't based upon your attitude toward him or your attitude toward others. God loves you. We see God's love for mankind. He loves everyone. It's unconditional. I love the the story of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis once walked into a room and there were these scholars arguing, debating. they've been debating for a couple of hours, it said. And C.S. Lewis, after a few moments, asked a question. And I love the way English people spoke. He said, what's all this rumpus about? I love the word rumpus. I'm going to start using that word somehow. Okay. And they looked at C.S. Lewis and they said, we are debating what is the unique characteristic of Christianity. What is unique about Christianity? We're looking at all the religions out there and we're trying to figure out what is unique about Christianity. And they've been debating for about two hours. And C.S. Lewis looked at him, shrugged his shoulders, and said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And they all stopped talking. Do you know what grace is? Unconditional love. Love that's free of charge. No strings attached. There's no other religion out there that makes that claim. Unconditional love. God loves you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God loves you. Author Philip Yancey said, there is nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. That's love. God's love is also sacrificial. John 3.16 says what? For God's love of the world that he gave. He gave. Love always gives. Now, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And God gave. He gave his son. He gave his son to come here to die for us. God's love is accessible accessible for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him whosoever anybody accessible this is not limited to to just a few people anyone This, this is not based on people born with a certain skin color or born in a specific continent or has a certain amount in the bank or has a certain iq no this is accessible for anyone whoever believes that's the gospel I like what Tim Keller writes. Tim Tim Keller says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. It's accessible. Anybody, anyone can come to God because he sent his son to die for us. On December 2nd, 2015, 14 people were killed, 22 others seriously injured in a terrorist attack in San Bernardino. One of the survivors was a 27-year-old lady named Denise Peraza. Now, her life was spared not because the terrorists decided not to shoot her. Her life was spared because the man sitting next to her, Shannon Johnson, threw himself on top of her and covered her during the shooting. That Wednesday morning at 10.55, within less than five minutes, 60 rounds of bullets were fired across the room. Denise doesn't remember all the details. All she remembers was Shannon throwing himself on top of her, and he kept saying three words over and over, I got you, I got you, I got you. As bullets are flying, he said, I got you, I got you, I got you. And he said those words, until he died because he was shot in the back and she survived while Jesus was on the cross he could have said those same words to us I got you I got you I got you I'm laying down my life for you because I love you. That is the love. Jesus is our personal reminder that God is our heavenly father who would never leave us nor forsake us. Who says to us, I got you. I got you. I got you. And he's accessible. And maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online you've never given your life to Christ. Will you come to him? Because he's calling you right now. By simply saying, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit it. I can't save myself. I've messed up. And Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he did die on that cross. He was buried on the third day he arose. And Lord, I confess, I I, I give you everything. I give you everything. Will you do that this morning? If you're watching online, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005. And a minister will give you a call today to talk to you about your decision. But for those of you who are here this morning, will you make that decision? If you haven't made it, because he's calling you today. Why? Because he loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. Will you make that decision? Would you stand by your heads as we pray? Our Father, it almost seems funny that when we talk about that you're the God of all power, you're the God of creation, you're the God of peace. Father, in some ways we can accept that better than you're our Father, a loving Father, a Father who wants to have a relationship with us. A loving Father who wants to spend eternity with us. And Father, you love us too much to make us make this decision. Because you want this love returned return freely. And so you call us. Because in the book of Genesis, when you call Adam, Adam, where are you? You're calling people today. Where are you? I love you. I got you. Come to me. I'll give you joy. I'll give you peace. I will help you in this world. I'll give you eternal life. Just come to me. Father, I pray that anyone who's here today and they're trying to decide what they should do, Father, show them right now. Show them the cross and an empty tomb. And remind them, Father, You are our Heavenly Father who loves us. In Jesus' name, amen.